Thank you so much for joining The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I am your host, Sharon Feckety, the author of The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I hope you will go on Amazon and purchase the book or download it on Audible and listen to the book so you can get some more insight as to why I decided to start this podcast show a few years ago and continue the conversation. You're going to hear from professionals. You're going to hear from people with lived experience, those that struggle with anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. Uh, You're going to listen to people that have recovered. Uh, You're going to hear resources about how you can navigate through this broken road to mental health and life in a business. And you will certainly be hearing me talk about the importance of having this discussion in business today. That is what I speak about at conferences, and I hope that you will take it seriously. We need to speak more about mental health in the workplace. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Please be sure to tell somebody you know that might be struggling to subscribe, to listen, to watch and share it with others. You are not alone on this broken road to mental health. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining the broken road to mental health. I am excited, and I say this a lot of times when I'm introducing a guest, but I don't think I've ever said that I don't want to put time constraints on the interview. So if you are driving or walking your dog or exercising, know that this might be a little longer than... uh, average podcast that I do here because I'm really interested. So for selfish reasons, we will be talking to Dr. Friedman for quite some time about this wonderful book, The Empowerment Solution. And I have been down the rabbit hole listening to shows um, because thankfully he's smart enough to put those on a podcast um, and you can listen and I'm looking forward to the audible version of his book, but it is a beautiful book, and I'm very excited to have this conversation today. So welcome to the show, Dr. Friedman. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me to take all the time we need. Yes. (laughs) I think you're the only one I've ever said that to, and I've done many shows. (laughs) I feel very honored. Well, I think it's, you know, and I'll just get started this way, kind of what I was just saying to you offline. And I do think that this is a very important conversation um, because I have worked in the medical industry for over 20 years and for the last 10 consulted doctors that are, you know, outside of the norms, let's say, integrative medicine. I have a physician that's in New Mexico that does assisted psychedelic training for physicians Um, I have an alternative psychiatrist. So I work within the space of not the the average medical doctor that somebody might go to see, okay? (laughs) And I'm very blessed for that. But I had mentioned to you before we got started that I, I, I thought what the story they told me when I first got sober that I had a chemical imbalance was the truth. And it wasn't until 2019 when I released my book and relived my trauma that I understood that there were way more connections to my why of using and and being in pain and getting out of that. So I want to lead with that. um, But I, I love that you have a connection to your own path that has led you down this path. And then you have broken from that path and gone to another path to help people so maybe you can share a little bit of of who you are, where you came from, 
and what leads you to do this work today? Well, I came from a little tiny town in the Black Forest in Germany, and I think I was happy-go-lucky and all into fairy tales and magic for most of my childhood life. Besides that, I also had a big job to do, which was to be the peacemaker in my family, which was stressful. But overall, everything was fine until the moment that it wasn't. And the moment it wasn't was when I realized that I'm not good enough, smart enough, acceptable enough. And that's where my journey with anxiety started. My parents just pulled me aside right before I needed to go to high school and told me, well, you're just a late bloomer and you're probably going to have a hard time. And the teacher said, you probably will never make it to college. So we'll, we'll hope for the best. And that was like a blow because I knew that they wanted me to be doctors and like my sister is a doctor, they were doctors. So you better become a doctor too. And then thinking that I may not and be the big disappointment in the family, all of a sudden happy go lucky was out of the window and come in with anxiety, stress, worry, insecurity. And, and that's how my journey with anxiety started. And that's how I learned to live through anxiety. And I became a doctor, Ray. I didn't like it after six years. I realized this is not my path. It makes me unhappy. I get actually more panic attacks being a doctor than I'm feeling really on purpose. And I told you, you know, right at the beginning that I didn't like how it disempowered people, that people, you know, patients came to us and they basically were just waiting for us to fix them, but there was no real you know, kind of responsibility on their end, or not even a sense that they were willing or able to explain there's more going on than just a symptom. I know that there's something, you know, maybe my stress and maybe my family issues, maybe my trauma. Well, A, we didn't have time as doctors to even listen to that. And B, I don't think that patients had this sense of you know, self-authority uh, to say, I'm going to stand up for my own health and well-being. And just like in your case, you just believe what the doctors say, and that's that. And for me, it was always remarkable why people came back after six months with the same problems, with the same symptoms, despite all the medications they have been swallowing. So something must have been off. Why are they still having high blood pressure? Why do they still have an arrhythmia? So I wasn't really content. It was more like a factory job than actually really healing or helping, at least where I worked. And mm -hmm. so I got into research that was mandatory for, started as two years, but then it became eight years because I really loved it. Research got me back to magic. There is so much amazing stuff happening inside of us. There is so much potential that we don't even know is there. A single cell can adapt and heal and to crazy things that we still don't understand what exactly happens. The deeper we dive, the more questions open up. So I find that fascinating. And I find this very different to medicine because medicine, we are seen more as limitations as human beings or as very, very broken. And there we are seen more in science as just, you know, wonders. And yeah. that I found really interesting, but my anxiety was still there. And then I realized at some point that all comes together when we are asking the question, so what is actually holding us in a sense of healing and wholeness and health? What makes this all work? I know the cells are incredibly powerful. I know the emotions are incredibly powerful. I know what we act is powerful. Everything has an influence, 
but what is a nexus? Where do we need to go in order for us to heal ourselves, to bring ourselves back into a sense of balance? And that's when I got really curious in the mind-body connection and especially in the subconscious mind, that deeper part of the mind, that mystery that people are either trying to avoid or they are scared of or they are kind of dabbling around or blaming, but using the subconscious mind as an ally, that was something that I really was fascinated by. How can we do this? How can we use this subconscious for our benefit and not just the one that when we want to, you know, lose weight, still ignores us and we are finding ourselves with ice cream in the shopping cart and you know all these self-sabotaging patterns that we are blaming the subconscious for how can we actually turn this around and that's where my healing with anxiety started because they realized anxiety was from the subconscious it's not like i wanted to have anxiety it's certainly not just the chemical imbalance it can lead to a chemical imbalance but it's not the root of the of the anxiety the anxiety has a purpose. There is a message behind it. And mm. then I became curious as I dived into the subconscious to figure out what is actually in general, what the anxiety tries to convey to us. And, and for me, it was a life-changing force in my life. It just showed me you're not on the right track, medicine, research, all nice, good that you know it all, but you are here for a bigger purpose. You're here to help people to find their power. You're here not to fix them, but to empower them, to make people come back to their wholeness. And anxiety is just one of the paths that makes us aware that something is not right inside of us, not outside of us, but inside of us. And, and when I understood my anxiety, it did exactly say the same to me. I turned my life into that direction and that's 20 years ago and I never looked back. So, so what was it? Do you mind it? I mean, digging in a little bit. To what was <laughs> it for you personally? I mean, 20 years yeah. is a long time. Um, so, cause I know what it was for me. Uh, what was it? What was what, what kept me well, on the so, pedestal? Or... So you, you shared, you know, um, even just in your bio that, uh, you know, you had anxiety, low self-esteem, obsessive compulsive behaviors and, you take this trajectory of your life and you become a physician and nobody in the world would ever think you suffer from any of those things because you're a physician, right? And people are looking to you for answers. And then 20 years ago, something happens. You're learning all of this, right? You're doing all of that research. You're, you're fascinated by it. But I'm, I think I'm more, I'm interested selfishly in what it was for you personally that made you go, I need to dig deeper into mm. myself so I can bring that now to the people that I'm helping. You know, that's a good question. It's the interesting thing is that what I noticed was the longer I lived on the trajectory I was, the emptier I felt. And that emptiness, you know, you have all the success in the world and you have no worries and everything is good, but right. inside there is a hole. And I was trying to fix this hole with all different kinds of things, success, money. Uh, I certainly tried to fix it with alcohol and food. I tried to fill it somehow with experiences. Nothing, nothing made me really feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And at some point I was in a church, totally desperate. Okay, go back to your roots and see, you know, maybe there's something 
or someone talking to you, nothing happened, but I felt really that was a moment where I realized I am on the search for something and I cannot find it. And I have to go deeper and you know how life happens. It happens kind of for you. And so there was this flyer when I came to Seattle to work in research that said, uh, it always night. comes back to a flyer. It always comes and they should, <laughs> they have to not stop making flyers. Otherwise we never find Keep our way. Prince alive. <laughs> and that flyer says, uh, Thursday night yoga, discover you, Kundalini. And I thought, Kundalini, well, that sounds really cool. Like, yeah. And so Thursday night was perfectly fitting in my schedule. I went. It was all about yoga with eyes closed, very meditative. You, there was one last exercise we did. And afterwards I laid on the back and I felt something I never felt. I felt like my whole body was like a tuning fork. It was so vibrating inside. There was a flow and I was a complete novice and clueless what you know, occurred, but it hooked me. Okay, there's something I need to do this again. And I went to this journey through yoga and meditation for a long time until I even taught it, because I noticed at the beginning, I felt five minutes after the class still really good. And then it, it was gone. And then it was a little bit longer, sometimes 10 minutes. And, and eventually after about six months, it could last for the rest of the day and maybe even into the next day. And so I, I knew that feeling of feeling grounded and connected and, and peaceful. I want more of that. I want just to explore it deeper and how can I go even further there? And so that then got me into a conversation with a dear friend who happened to marry me and my wife. And, and he said, you know what, you may be really interested in the subconscious mind and you may be really interested in this work of neurolinguistic programming and timeline therapy. And I know exactly the right guy for you. You should just, check him out. I don't know. I just checked him out. And, and that is how I got into really an avenue that I didn't before really knew was available. And mm. from there, I just became more and more, I think, really at home with myself again. You know, when you leave home when you're 11 years old, I mean, you know, figuratively speaking, and you're not yourself. And then when you're finally 34, 35, and you come back to yourself, it's a nice feeling. Yeah. It's very nice. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love that because it is, um, I, I always try to encourage the healers that I have in my life to share more about their own personal experience because we, we all hope that the healer is being healed themselves before they start to heal somebody else. Right. Like I was always of that mindset. Like I didn't want to write my book until I was 25 years sober because I didn't think I really, so many things have changed throughout my recovery and my life and getting healthier. And, and just when I think I'm, you know, at a place where, Oh, I, I'm good now. I'm like, oh my God, I just learned something I never knew about myself, right? And it is it is beautiful. And um, and it's a it's like a very humbling thing, you know, I would say. And I guess I connect all of that back to 
when I was struggling 18, 19, 20, 21, I have a very, you know, traumatic story. Um, when I finally did uh, meet with my therapist who I talk about, he was my dad's EAP counselor. And he asked me if I was having suicidal thoughts. Well, nobody had ever asked me that before. And mm. I had been to two rehabs, a halfway house, inpatient, outpatient therapy. And I was finally able to tell somebody I trusted because he had already shared with me that he ha was in recovery, that he had been down a, a really rough road. So I finally felt safe because what I noticed about what I always did, which I don't know if that comes from being bold or being a New Yorker, I have no idea where that comes from, but I would always, before somebody wanted to know about me, I would, well, why don't you tell me a little bit about you? What qualifies you to help me? Good because question. I, well, right. I mean, I felt like I had gotten all of this help, but nothing was working. And I certainly saw my parents blaming it on this and that. And, you know, what is it? Well, you know, when finally somebody was brave enough, I felt like to say, hey, you know what? I know what you see here today is a therapist working at New York Hospital. But what I once was, was not this evolved person. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. Plenty of stories about my yeah, trials and tribulations and traumas and healings in the book. So you learn a lot about me there. Yes, that's what I want. Uh, <laughs> that's what we're all connected to because it's very obvious, I will say, listening to you. I it's funny, like I didn't want to start the interview with you because I was enjoying listening to you so much. <laughs> I've never said that before, but that is my truth. Like, I was like, oh man, I got to interview him now. Let me put this down. <laughs> but I was, I was like, I was meditating to, uh, um, you know, some of your, on YouTube, I, I went down Amazon podcast and I was, I was like, wow, he's interviewing a, a psychologist. That's an astrologer. Yes. Give me some of that. Right. But it's very evident, you're very calming, and you touch upon so many things that now I am way more curious because I feel like I'm at the the ninth, tenth, fifteenth phase of my own healing. Hmm. And I thought I was pretty good in 2019. And now I'm like, wow, there's so much more work to be done and to learn. I'm you know, a seeker, a, a learner. I think everybody that is you know, in the space wants to just learn and heal more. And, you know, I will share with you one more thing before I ask you about it. You know, you have, I used to be very, I used to have like an almost reaction to people when they said my inner child, mm. I would be what? like, I'd be like, please. That's so seventies. <laughs> That's so stupid. <laughs> Who even says that your inner child? <laughs> but now I'm like, tell me about that inner child, <laughs> you know, because really everything is connected to our childhood. So can you, I, I am a recovering codependent and I have not been proud to kind of, and I don't cling to a story either of what somebody else tells me. I thought that that part of my life was gone, but what I realize now in, in working on this new journey is that I really do have an issue with detaching with love. Um, I want to help. And, and you had mentioned before that you were the person in your family that was 
that fixer. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, you know, I mean, my parents had a second child, which was me, because with the first child, they figured out they are not really getting that well along with each other. So let's make a second child to make it all good. And let's call him man of peace, which is exactly what my name means, Friedemann, man of peace. So I was the designated mediator and connector and you name it. And I actually felt very powerful in this job because, you know, you have a role. Here we go. And I can go back and forth. And when Israel and Palestine are fighting, I'm the one who makes peace. And that's how it felt. So this, uh, yeah, this ambassador of peace was a great role until it wasn't because it felt also that all the attention went to everyone else, just not to me. So I couldn't allow myself to have problems or share my issues and talk about my anxiety or tell them, you know, there is a reason why I'm straightening carpets and pray a hundred times a day because I feel like otherwise I'm totally out of control. I couldn't share any of this because that was not, there was no room. That was not my role to have. I was a role to make people feel better and understand each other more, but I was kind of invisible as one that also has vulnerabilities and that also has problems and issues. And my therapist was my cat. I just you know, put my cat in bed at night when I was really anxious. <laughs> and she made me feel better because she was fat and lazy and beautiful. And she just you know fell asleep and the snoring somehow made me feel better, probably better than any therapy I had, uh, at least at that time, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know about it. Well, so I think, you know, this, this inner child that you mentioned, is something that I also really late in my life came to. I wasn't resistant to it. But when I did a journey to the inner child for the first time, I didn't like that child. I didn't really feel like that he was so great to hang out with. Mm -hmm. So this resistance to that, whatever I saw, was also a sign that there was something still inside of me, resentful, maybe in pain, and I just didn't want to be reminded of that. I just didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go back to when I felt so powerless and out of control and afraid. And this child represented this to me. And, and in the book, I'm talking about the journey to the inner child that is a journey back to before you were traumatized, before you lost your innocence. Because the person that I met first was a child that ultimately was already told that he's not enough and that he is stupid and all of those things. And, and so that child, of course, brought up all my triggers and vulnerabilities. And I didn't feel a lot of compassion because mm. I didn't have a lot of compassion for myself. But when I eventually learned to go further back to this happy-go-lucky child that was all about magic and beauty, then I realized, ah, that's a version of myself that feels much better because it's so much more me. It's how I actually wanted to be and how I really wanted to also be seen by the world. And, and just remembering that was a really big healing because I realized what I was always hiding to the world was that part of me that once was told that I should be more serious, that I could not just have the air, I mean, the head in the clouds, and I need to really just become a young man who is having goals and, you know, all the stuff that we are told. And so this, this, you know, innocent self, I don't know, reclaiming this part of me and then really nurturing it and finding my way back to being 
light and easygoing and trusting and happy-go-lucky. That was a journey. I don't know if we can always call it healing because healing always sounds like there's something broken, there is a wound that needs to be fixed. I think it's more remembering mm -hmm. and ultimately evolving with that wholeness that we remember. And I don't think that this journey ever ends until our last breath. But that's what you said before, the curiosity is a driving force that we actually need to use, not this feeling of, I guess I'm still not good enough, I'm still broken. No, it's more like, what else is there? I'm a treasure chest that has so much inside of me. I mean, everyone has that. Why not digging a little bit deeper? Why not a little bit more, you know, finding out what I love, what I can do, what's, you know, what draws me in, the magic of self. I don't know, that's the journey that this book is about that I hope, you know, people will feel encouraged to go on. And I guess that's a journey that you are on. Yeah, I think, well, for the rest of my life. You yes, know, exactly. For the rest of my life. Yeah, I think subconsciously, I calling even my the broken road to mental health, I've, I've never uh, identified with being broken. I just knew that I I am and will always be under construction. I will sure. always learn something and there'll, there'll usually be some kind of a roadblock, right? That makes me go, huh, <laughs> Wonder, I, I should probably look into that a little bit. Why am I acting this way? So I'm so excited to tell you about our sponsor, Valley Bank. To know that we have a bank that thinks so much about mental health in the workplace has made me so proud. Valley Bank is my bank for business and has been since the day I opened 10 years ago. When I was introduced to them, I was told that I was going to really like everybody that worked for the bank. And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Turns out they were right. I like everybody that works there. They are good people, nice people, and they care about others. They care about the community. But the thing I am most proud of is how they are welcoming the conversation about mental health in the workplace into their bank and willing to take that risk and talk about it in our community. Valley Bank is definitely forging the way in business to open up this conversation. If it wasn't for my father's employee assistance program back in the day, 28 years ago, I would not be on this podcast today. It just goes to show when you offer these resources to your company and to your team, miracles can happen. I am one of them. So Valley Bank not only offers an employee assistance program to their staff and their team members, but they also send out these great vitality monthly communications, bi-weekly wellness resources, and they're willing to sponsor a podcast that is about mental health in life and in business. So if you have not connected with Valley Bank, I highly recommend you do. That leads me to ask, because um, I want to I wanna talk about the book, um, but why do you think there are so many people that are resistant to getting help to to looking inside and be, and maybe before because I always like to share something personal about why I ask this I you know even in in recovery and in, in 12 steps that I've been a part of for a very long time there's a, a full step that talks about prayer and meditation that I resisted until I started working 
with integrative medicine practitioners, mm-hmm. which is odd, you know, <laughs> because I, every day of my life, a prayer meditation, I was very resistant to the prayer thing, you know, at the Catholic church, how I grew up, my parents are from Dublin and, you know, I did not, I went to private Catholic school my whole life and I was a rebel. So I was like, no, not doing that. And then when I started to get quiet, I I started to realize, not consciously at the time, but I started to realize that to get quiet would mean that I would start hearing that noise from my, my past, that I was not ready. And I do believe that it is a, a divine source that waited that long, that I was okay to finally be uh not well enough i don't know what the term is but at a place of safety that i could look back and not uh use or or drink or fall back into a depression that i was finally ready to go oh i i understand why i need to get quiet and sit with those thoughts and those feelings so um why do you think that there is that resistance because of, of course, I think I have the answer. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, your story, you know, summarizes very nicely that there is something we are avoiding to yeah. face. I think often there is a feeling of, I don't want to sit with a stranger that I have nothing to talk to. And you are a stranger to yourself when you're really so disconnected. When you know, most of us live in a disconnected state. Yeah. Not because only we are raised to function and not really ask ourselves questions like, what do you want? Is this right for you? You know, what feels good to you? All those questions get erased at some point. We just have to do it. And that's expected from us. And these days, kids are raised even more strict than we were in regards to what, how much time they're allowed to do nothing, very little, how much agency they have to make their own decisions very little how much they are told which direction to go all the time so yeah there's definitely something where the disconnection happens early and if you disconnect it from yourself and you're forced to sit down with yourself it feels odd and you don't really know what to do and there is a noise that you don't want to hear like you said and but you know the other aspect is we don't think it's we are worth it now we don't believe that we are worth it it's selfish, that's a waste of time just to do introspection. There are other things to do. Mm. Either there are more interesting things out there on TikTok that we can watch, or there are things we have to do because that's you know pleasing others or gives us some success or money or whatever. But really taking time to do introspection as a worthy way of spending time and energy I don't think that we are really at that point when we have pain, yes, okay. And when we are really in despair, maybe. But other than that, and that's the most important thing we're here to do. And that's the least time we are spending. And then we are wondering why we are so anxious and why we are feeling so lost and why we are you know, looking for some people to tell us how to think and what the truth is and what not. And I mean, there is really like a, a global sense of, we are not at home with ourselves, And that's the reason why I wrote this book, just as a way for people to have very specific steps on reconnecting and finding themselves and 
you know, one of the last chapters of the book is to love themselves again. I mean, most people, when I ask them, so say out loud, I love myself, they are cringing, they cannot bring out the words, it's terrible, yeah. <laughs> don't even know what that means. And, and that's such a wonderful feeling to even consider. Yeah, but I love myself. not something we go for. Yeah, I love the hell out of myself. <laughs> Just so you Good. know. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, well, and but I it do. It wasn't easy, right? No, I mean, I, it's not I, it is. It is now. It was. It wouldn't have been something I would ever consider saying before. I also wouldn't be so uh, pro help go get help pro meditation pro all the things until it hit me personally you know yeah. yeah so so this book let's talk about um the empowerment oh. it's such a pretty book by the way oh thank you yes yeah. i loved it right away when i saw it i thought okay that's it usually i'm like a at least have four more options but this was <laughs> the first yeah. one let's go well i want to show you something very interesting and for those of you that don't watch and just listen sorry about your luck <laughs> I did a um that was a mess. I did a, a vision board mm. this year, and I love the whole um having something coming out yeah. of the brain, right? And all of these, <laughs> right? All of these beautiful birds you had. I was like, oh yes. You open, opening it up. Yeah, you are opening it up. So let's talk about what led you to when did you write this book? I started about five years ago on a Sunday walk. I walked around our little area and all of a sudden I knew what I need to write about. It's like one of those beautiful things it's like, okay, these are actually, I thought about uh, first 12 survival patterns, but I thought, okay, no one going to read that. That's too much. We're going to have to have a second book on that. <laughs> so right. I focused on the first uh, six survival patterns, avoidance and pleaser patterns. But what I, what the, what hit me on this walk was that I realized after writing this other book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution, fear and anxiety are just one aspect. But the, the things that fear and anxiety make us do, these survival patterns, how to just, you know, somehow make it through another day or how to please others to get a little bit of their fitting in or belonging energy, that is something that holds us even more back and our emotions, you know, we can feel something, but when we are living it and acting it, it has a constant uh, trajectory in our lives. And, and I really realized we have to not just focus on this emotional piece, which again, is a gift, it's not, you know, your, your weakness, the the anxiety, but we have to also really see of how we are navigating through our lives, and how we get lost through these uh, navigation efforts that usually start very early in our lives and how we're on a, on, a, on a journey of surviving and not on a journey of thriving. And that journey of thriving is what I think we all ultimately want, but we have different definitions of thriving. And the definition of thriving for me is really just to live in that alignment with your authentic truth. And that can mean that you're thriving the most when you're I don't know, taking care of a garden, or it can mean that you're thriving the most when you're in meditation and feeling like at peace with the world around you, or you're thriving most when you're helping in a hospital, other people doesn't mean anything, but you are your truth. And that is such a gift to have. And it's, I think, our ultimate purpose to go for, 
but it's something that we are not aware. We are not aware that this is what we are supposed to be here for, to live our truth, to share our truth. That's thriving. So you said that you thought about the book, you started writing it on the walk. When did you actually publish it and finish it? Oh, I published it just two days ago. <laughs> it came out. On Are the you kidding me? Yes, it came out. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> it just came out, which is really exciting. And uh, I know it's fresh, baby. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, I feel so honored. <laughs> oh, I'm very honored that you actually talk with me about this. So mm. Celebrating with me. I'm still in the celebratory mode. It's so great. It took me about, you know, five years because it went a lot into it. You know, my my biggest inspirations are my, my clients, uh, the people that I work with. They teach me something every day, which is so great. It's always funny how you get the client who is a mirror to yourself and they talk about their issues. Oh, that's me. <laughs> that's wow. great. Thank you very much. So let's just talk about how to change that. And so a lot of the things that are in the book and that I learned were through clients. But since I'm also a researcher, I love to just make it understandable also for the conscious part of our brain, just to, you know, what is actually the science behind it and what are, what does it mean how we are acting when we are lying? Why is it so hard for us when we're lying to ourselves to have any kind of confidence? What does lying do to us? That is in the chapter of procrastination. Because procrastination is ultimately lying to ourselves because we're yeah. saying we got to do it and we won't. Tomorrow is another day. And then again, we don't. And that then we wonder why we don't believe in ourselves. So these kind of you know, these steps of understanding, seeing the deeper subconscious root causes, and then also ultimately changing those patterns really at the core. This mm -hmm. is what this book is about. Hmm. So. You mentioned another book that was called Fear and Anxiety. Say it again. The Fear and Anxiety Solution. Okay, so bear with me for a minute. So if I was in fear and had anxiety, I would read that book. I would. The Fear and Anxiety Solution? Yeah. Because yeah. I would want to solve that problem. Yes. Right? And um, this feels more like something I would read now. So when when I um when I'm struggling with something I'm drawn to you know when I was struggling with codependency I I read <laughs> Codependent No More or The Language of Letting Go um you know so many books come to my mind um I've I've listened to every podcast about addiction and recovery and sobriety and and I think that when like I feel like this is the solution is so great, but you had kind of alluded to it before. Um, I was very solution prone, you know, um, it, even in recovery, we talk about the solution. So for me, as a, a, a child of immigrant parents, who everybody in the world ha is worse off than we are, so let mm. there be no issues, because there are starving children in Ethiopia. Which is some, you know, right? And that's great. I grew up in a beautifully loving family. My parents still around the corner from me, and um, were there throughout my my entire uh, addiction. But what felt really comfortable to me in this recovery program was that we're going to focus on the solution, 
and we are not going to visit the past. Mm. And I was like, sign me up, <laughs> sign me up because I've already, and I, I would say these things. I've already lived through this. I've already, you know, I'm good now. I'm good now. Cause obviously you see me, right. I'm director of operations for New York medical. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's so like, oh no, I had to get through all of that pain to now understand that, yes, these unlocking your full potential. Like I, I am ready now to unlock my full potential, Dr. Friedman. I am, but I might not have been ready before. Yes. I don't really have a question to that. What, what are your thoughts about what I just my said? My thoughts are that the solution that you had in mind was very forward oriented, right? So that's like, okay, there's a problem, let's fix it. The solution that I talk about in both books is really about, especially with the fear and anxiety, seeing it as there are root causes and those root causes need to be resolved. And those root causes are in your past and they are still living with you, whether it's the traumas that you can resolve and that you can heal, whether it's inner incongruencies, fragmentations, you know, where one part feels this way, like I need to be small and hide out another part and no, I want to explore the world. And then you're constantly in this pulling apart conflict with yourself. This tug of war creates a lot of anxiety because you never feel really still. You always feel pulled in one or the other direction. And then how we were told what to believe about ourselves and how to see the world. Scary place. People cannot be trusted. We are not really fitting in, whatever those beliefs are. So that's the first place to go to, yes, when you have fear and anxiety, to really resolve all of that and find more that the fear and anxiety have a reason to be here. And they have a reason to be here because they ultimately want you to find your wholeness again. They want you to be your truth. And so that is what the fear and anxiety solution does. The empowerment solution is more like, so if I now have understood that anxiety is not your enemy, it's actually like a compass, it's your friend, and so is your subconscious. Now, how can I now from that place see myself and realize I have been living in a diminished version of myself for many years? Not just because I have been feeling my anxiety, but I have been living my anxiety. So these patterns of procrastination, becoming invisible, being the chameleon, being the people pleaser or martyr, being the one who is codependent to some one person that they think is their savior or living constantly in victim mode. Those are the patterns that anxiety makes us live in. It's kind of, okay, we are anxious, so how do we now deal with life? And how can we overcome these patterns? Because I saw a lot of people that had really dealt with their issues with anxiety, but they recreated being anxious because they still lived as if they should be anxious. So if you are not dealing with a fear of failure anymore, but you're still out of unconsciousness, procrastinating all the time, or if you are starting to, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, but you're still in your mind, always looking for that one person you're gonna get married to, and then everything will be fine, and finally you're gonna be whole again. You're gonna recreate anxiety because you're still pretending that you are not capable 
of living in any different ways. And that is what the fear and anxiety solution helps you with to write this new way of being, this new owner's manual. And so there is a whole section of self-awareness which brings you back to who you really are, your values, your essence, that what's authentic about you. And once you know that, then naturally you also can make different choices. When you know who you are, you're no longer looking necessarily for approval to others. And when you know that you deserve to take care of yourself, you're not telling yourself you're selfish when you have a boundary. I mean, those things are just something that's, you know, when you intellectually understand it, it's great. But if you actually really feel it and then live it, then you make it a new way of being. And that's a goal. The first time I heard that, um, the pain is there to show you something that the pain is that pathway was in the book, uh, lost connections by Johan Hari. Mm -hmm. And I read that after I wrote my book and I had never, I probably had heard it, but I never heard it <laughs> until that moment that really that whatever it is, depression, anxiety, addiction, it it's there to, to show us something. And that something is always linked to, our childhood, right? So um, that that path is, uh, I, I never, be, I, I always thought like, wow, that's a, why would I have to go through depression? Well, I understand now today, like it was, it was trying to show me something and it wasn't until I moved through that, that I would be able to live a, a free life, like like the birds flying out of the brain on the cover of your book. But see, a lot of people are kind of in resistance to this childhood idea because they say either, oh, my childhood was totally fine. What are you talking about? Or they're saying it's so long ago. Why should I go back? That doesn't make any sense. And what we have to understand is that in the childhood. You just described my entire family. Thank you. <laughs> All of them? <laughs> All of them. Thank you. Okay. Listen up, family. I'm going to explain yeah. this to you. <laughs> So when you are very little and you have very little power and agency, the part of your mind that tries to keep you safe is your subconscious. And your subconscious says, depending on what happened around you, I think this is our best bet. Any of those pleasing avoidance patterns, they're going to keep you safe. You don't get in trouble anymore with that if you do exactly what they want you to do. You're not really, you know, getting disappointed with friends because you just stay at home and you don't have any that keeps you safe, whatever those things are. Now, the subconscious continues to do those things until we are teaching the subconscious to do different things. So even when we are in our 20s or 30s and we're thinking like, well, childhood is long gone, we can still get triggered. We can still get one remark from dad that makes us feel like a five-year-old who gets spanked. Or we can have, again, this feeling of being the wallflower at the dance in high school because there are all these strangers, even though we are 35 or 40 and we're still feeling intimidated and small and want to go just in the corner. We know that we have this burden of living in survival mode when we are living in those unconscious reactionary ways of self-defense. And we all have it. And the people that say they don't want to go back into the past, they're avoiding also something 
that was in their past, and that's a form of defending themselves, doesn't lead anywhere. But understanding we just have to, like everything, a TV, a computer, anything needs to be updated. We need to have a subconscious update so that our subconscious says, oh, she can take care of herself. Wow, look, she can be trusted. She has done such a good job. Well, we just never ask her. We were never asked how to be different or shown what else to do. Let's listen and let's you know do what she wants us to do. Not hide out, not self-sabotage, not do any of those things that didn't work anymore. Let's do something different. And that is what the subconscious needs. And we have to understand that this is not a waste of time. This is not anything that you know we can avoid. This is the best spent time and energy we can do for ourselves because it leads us to a much more fulfilling life. If we really let those confusions or ways of the past ultimately be behind and change them into something that brings us greater joy and purpose. And, and that's why we are talking because yeah. this is bringing you joy and purpose. This totally. is not something that does anything else for you. <laughs> this is it. These are my favorite days when I'm interviewing uh, people that have done the work and are passing on the work and, and the resources and identifying uh, all of the things that you just said, of course, are so, you know, all of these people that are in my life that I see and I realize that there's really nothing that I can do except maybe be some kind of example by just sharing how I live my own life instead yes. of trying to force somebody to do that. Um, but man, for me now in my, in my life today, I have very, I have a small amount of people in my life. You know, I, I moved from New York to uh, Tampa Bay, Florida to be in the sunshine uh, 18 years ago. I left everybody. I moved here alone. And, uh, you know, now I have a beautiful husband and the dog and all the things, but, you know, I wanted to recreate even my life in my thirties. And now, in, now at 50, I, I continuously want to do that. And I find myself, um, I find myself having a, a hard time being around people that don't want to do the work. That's just my truth. You know, I don't, I don't say that. Uh, I actually probably have never said that here on the show before, <laughs> but there is a real, you know, I am an introvert to the core and I, I love people and what I do for a living, I have to be, you know, this, and I have to be on the stage and in front, but I want to be at home with my dog, having a conversation with you about mm. things that matter. Yeah. Yeah. And that is where you thrive. That's where you really feel in alignment with yourself and yes. and i'm so glad that you have found that and that's the one thing that you may ask your family have they found that have they found that sweet spot where they feel truly they can be in alignment with themselves with their passion with their purpose and most people would say what are you asking i have no idea what you're asking or what you're talking about because they don't know it because it does take the work it takes courage to have introspection. It takes curiosity. And it takes also sometimes pain for us to start the journey. But it's never a journey that is not worthwhile. It leads always to some nuggets of wisdom about ourselves. And in the end, for me, the, the goal was freedom. But what I found was a lot of peace. 
You know, it's not just being free to do your own thing and live your own life and choosing, you know, to live in all different continents and change your careers all these times. No, it's about the peace with yourself that no matter what choice you make, somehow there is a sense of trust or, I don't know, being at home. Mm. That's a feeling that I had been really missing for many years. And yeah, that's something I hope people get from reading these books. All right. So then tell us what your life looks like today, personally and professionally. Well, personally, I'm living in the south of France, which was a childhood dream. I always was very Francophile. And 10 years ago, I just said, let's pack it all up and go to France. Uh, I have horses that I love, but also just like an idea in the moment. And it's my passion. I have an alter ego, which is Farmer Fred. So I'm sitting on my tractor and <laughs> do all those things that farmers are doing because you know, I feel that's also one of my thriving moments. Yeah. Uh, and professionally, I'm working with clients individually uh, throughout the world. We are you know, now technology, Zoom, Skype, whatever. And uh, I do uh, online courses and continue to write books. Mm. And I'm in a pretty happy place, I have to say. That's wonderful. That's so wonderful. Well, I hope that you'll come back again and, and maybe we can break down one of these topics, yes. one of these many yes. topics that you cover in the book. And uh, I would be honored because uh, I feel like I could probably talk to you all day. I'd, I'd, <laughs> like, I'd like to get some therapy from you too, uh, to be honest. <laughs> I'd also like some interventions to happen and maybe we can, no, I'm kidding. Um, I, I, I family here, exactly. Right, let's do it. Let's bring everybody in, you know, from both sides, my my own and my, my, my husband's side. Um, so the book is The Empowerment Solution, Six Keys to Unlocking Your Full Potential with the Subconscious Mind very excited about this book. I feel, I wish I could get a signature. Maybe I will now that I have been able to talk to you and um, <laughs> look forward to listening to it and and passing uh, your, your good work on to many others, because there are certainly many people in the world today that need to hear this message. So I appreciate you. Yes, thank you. And it will be out on Audible very soon. So definitely put your headphones on. And, uh, and in the it. meantime, listen to your podcast. Your podcast yes, is exactly. What's the yes. name of your podcast? Empowerment Solutions. And you can find it on uh, all channels, Spotify, YouTube. Amazon, Audible. Too. <laughs> yes, Audible. Yes, everywhere. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It was wonderful. Don't forget to check out Valley Bank for all your banking needs. They are supporting mental health in the workplace and beyond. Thank you, Valley.